Learning for Life at Gustavus is produced by J.J. Aiken and Matthew Dobosensky of the Gustavus Office of Marketing. Will Clark, Senior Communications Studies major and videographer at Gustavus, who also provides technical expertise to the podcast, and me, your host, Greg Castor. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Gustavus Adolphus College. In a 2017 profile of then Gustavus Jr. Catherine Katie Aney published in the student newspaper, a friend of Katie's described her as, quote, the poster child for upholding the Gustavus values. That was and remains a very apt description of Katie, who is now an alum, having graduated in 2018. At Gustavus, Katie excelled both academically as a triple major in mathematics, biology, and biochemistry, and athletically as a member of the women's tennis team. This combination resulted in her being twice named in consecutive years to the College Sports Information Directors of America, All-America Women's At-Large Teams. Even as she excelled in her studies in tennis, Katie also found time to volunteer on and off campus and lend her support to Gustavus' friends and peers. She found time as well to apply for a Barry M. Goldwater Scholarship, the most prestigious undergraduate award for students planning on careers in mathematics, the natural sciences, and engineering. This scholarship is extremely competitive, and out of some 1,300 nominees from colleges and universities across the country, Katie was one of just 240 undergraduates selected for the award in 2017. That summer, she spent 10 weeks at Harvard University as an Amgen scholar conducting research on immunology and pancreatic cancer. And Harvard is where Katie is currently enrolled in the Medical School's Health Sciences and Technology, or HST, medical degree program conducted jointly with the Massachusetts Institute. Institute of Technology. In the wake of this October's Nobel Conference at Gustavus on the topic of cancer in the age of biotech, and amid the again surging COVID-19 virus, now seemed the perfect time to speak with Katie about her current research, her path to it, and her love of science and tennis, among other topics. And I'm delighted she could join me. So welcome, Katie. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you. That was a very kind introduction. My pleasure. And uh, as you were saying before we started recording, it sounds like this is your first podcast. I'm new to podcasting also, quite new to this. So uh, we're we're both novices, but we'll have some fun. Um, (laughs) Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Tell us a little bit about, so right now you're in Cambridge. Uh, Tell us a little about what's going on. Are you taking in-person classes, online classes? Yep. So I'm I'm actually in Boston, um, which is across the river from Cambridge. So very similar. Um, but that is where the medical school is located. And that is where my research lab um, currently is. So all of our medical school classes are online this semester. We are supposed to return to clinic um, starting in January, which is extremely exciting. Um, but for now, we're all online and I am getting into research lab two or three times a week just to sort of get experiments off the ground but I am planning on doing sort of a gap year, a research year, starting in May. Um, and so I'm sort of preparing experiments and mouse models um, for that at this moment. So it, it feels nice to be, to be back, to be getting into lab, um, and to be sort of productive again after such a long time back in Minnesota. 
And do you, when you say a gap year, so it's a research gap year, does that mean you'll, you'll be doing the research at, at uh, the medical school? Yep. So uh, the program I'm in, HST, as you mentioned, um, has a lot of MD-PhDs, actually. So the, the structure there is you take two years of medical school, you do a PhD in the middle of your medical school, and then you do your final two clinical years. Um, and then there's also an option for students that are just getting their MD, like myself, to do just one research gap year um, in between your second and third year of medical school. So um, before I sort of hit the wards in full force um, and do sort of all clinical stuff in my last two years, I'll be spending a whole year um, in the lab that I'm currently working in, which is um, working on pancreatic cancer as well. Yeah, it sounds. I didn't know about the program until I was preparing for um, our conversation. It just sounds fantastic. Yes, uh, it's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, and lots of it sounds like. So, are, are what about places like Dana Farber? Are they involved too? Yeah. So, so you can do research really at any. So, I guess just just to preface, the program is specifically designed to train physician scientists, which is which is why I was so drawn to it, as well as sort of just the re rich research ecosystem that's in Boston and Cambridge. So anything, any lab that's affiliated with MIT or Harvard are options. And the students in HST um, are required to do a research project as well um, and sort of submit a thesis as a part of their medical school curriculum, which is pretty unique. Um, and yeah, any, so any lab at Dana-Farber, at Beth Israel, at um, MIT, at Harvard, um, all fair game for students, which is incredible, um, overwhelming <laughs> when yeah. students are picking labs. Um, but I was fortunate enough to find a super awesome lab working on pancreatic cancer, a pretty young um, lab that's just kind of up and coming. So I've been able to be involved in a lot of they're really exciting um, projects and sort of have a almost graduate student or, or postdoc position in a lot of these super exciting projects. Um, and I'm, I'm just completely stoked to do a whole year um, and hopefully have a really productive experimental year and get some publications and contribute uh, meaningfully to the pancreatic cancer world. No doubt you will. And I, I love that, um, your phrase, uh, rich eco research ecosystem, because, <laughs> man, that's one thing I loved about being, uh, I, I was in love with Boston from the time I went there in high school and then uh, uh, went to Boston University for my PhD in history. Yeah. Um, I just, man, just absolutely love that city, love that area and all the, yeah. all the, all the, um, the interplay between different institutions and departments. It's just right, fantastic. Right. The, um, you know, by the way, in our, my wife Kate and I live in downtown Minneapolis in a, uh, a condominium called Grant Park condominium building. But, you know, we met a doctor since passed away. I don't know if you would know his work, but he, he, he did work in pancreatic cancer. Marty, Martin Orkin, I think, is his name. If you ever come across any of his stuff, um, did some some research, but again, I don't know exactly what area. I just know it had something to do with pancreatic cancer. Wonderful. My name doctor. isn't familiar, but if I run across it, I will think of you. And yeah, yeah I, I yeah. people often often say names um, yeah, in the I'm Boston sure. area, and I I'm just sure. there are so many names. I think um, when I was when I was applying, I think they boast. 
Harvard boasts something like a 10 to 1 faculty to student ratio, because when you (laughs) sum up all of the, you know, faculty across all of the different hospitals and institutions here, um, there's just so many people teaching in in comparison to the, you know, 150 um, student classes that, that Harvard Medical School has. So, the names, so the names are, are not always, um, not always yeah. great at remembering names. Yeah, not, not on the tip of your tongue. Yeah, if I, <laughs> if I can find an article about them or something, I'll send, send yeah, it away. But, um, so, you know, I again, in preparing for the podcast, I came across an interview with you. I think it was in the online publication called Her Campus in 2017. And you're quoted as describing yourself as, quote, quirky, compassionate, and enthusiastic. And as we were saying right before we started recording, I have not met you before, so it's a pleasure to meet you now. Um, we didn't happen to cross paths on, on campus when you were there, but wonder if you could, I mean, is that, is that how you would still describe yourself? And if so, what do you mean by, I'm especially interested in what you mean by quirky? <laughs> I would say probably, um, I don't know. I think, I, I don't know what I was, what I um, necessarily meant back then, but I just, I think I'm, I'm quirky when it comes to scientific stuff. I'm, I'm pretty nerdy. So I'll, I'll kind of geek out about, random scientific factoids and go on, you know, uh, go down a huge rabbit hole on YouTube watching scientific videos or whatever. Um, But I've always been sort of someone that likes to do little projects. Um, You know, over quarantine, I got super into like oil pastels. So maybe quirky just in the sense of I have a lot of random interests. Um, and you know, I'm not always, not always consistent in my, in my hobbies or activities, but, um, I think, I think that's just because I'm trying to find what I'm the most interested in and, and I guess excitable, or I'm not sure what my other, what my other adjective for myself is, but I'm, I'm very easily excitable. I get excited about things very easily. Um, and so I would say that, yeah, I, mean, I, I know. I know you love learning, and I know. I mean, I think, and quirky to me, by the way, is a compliment. I love. I, I, the more quirky our students, the better, as far as I'm concerned. I'm all for quirky, but your your intellectual curiosity, right, is just um, comes through in everything. I've read about you and uh, even just in the little conversation we had before recording. And I want to come back to the painting later and talk a little bit about that. <laughs> that's one of my questions. But so you tell us where you grew up in Rochester. Is that right? Rochester, Minnesota. Tell us a little bit about your your background, your growing up and how you came to choose Gustavus. Yeah. So I grew up in Rochester, um, which is obviously home of the Mayo Clinic. And so I think I have sort of that medical and, and research, um, you know, the value of that ingrained in me. Um, I didn't, I originally, I knew I've always known I wanted to go into science. I am really excited by research and asking questions. Um, I actually, I think maybe made an, um, I wouldn't recommend that students make their college decision based on how I did, but I based it on college sports specifically. I was super, super into hockey and, you know, the Gustavus women's hockey program is incredible. Um, and the rink is on campus and I really love the team. And so I was like, sweet, this is a great choice for me. And I don't, I don't really even think I, I factored in the academics 
And so when I, when I talked to future students about their choices, um, you know, because Davis ended up being an incredible choice for me, but not in the reasons why I thought it was going to be because I ended up only playing hockey for a year. Um, and I also played tennis that year, ended up, um, sort of falling in love with, with the tennis team in that, in that program. And I knew I had to, had to pick one if I wanted to be as serious about school as I was. So, um, you know, my life ended up being very different than I imagined it being at Gustavus, but it all worked out for the best. Um, yeah, and that's the point. I'm sorry. That's a that's a point of of a liberal arts college, right? To, right. I actually, right. I actually worry about students who come in with the sort of this is my plan. This is what I'm yeah. going to do. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's wonderful to see what happens, right? And to be able, now, right. by the way, were you were you already playing tennis in high school or not? Was that already I a was, level? Yes, yeah. I was. So I was. I did both hockey and tennis in high okay. school and lacrosse. Actually, I've always been the type of person that has tried to kind of do as much as possible and stay as busy as possible, just because I'm I'm have a lot of energy and um, have a lot of interests as well. So um, I remember the tennis coach texting John Carlson, texting me on one of the first days of practice. He's like, Hey, are you coming to practice? And I was like, Oh man. And I had not even brought in my correct tennis shoes to college. And I just wasn't really even mentally prepared to play tennis. And then I ended up um, really loving the tennis program. And, and as you know, the Gustavus tennis program is also, a wonderful program and, and, um, you know, the legacy that the Carlson's, the, the, the women's team coaches, as well as, you know, the men's team program, Steve Wilkinson, and now Tommy Valentini have, um, it's just, it's a really good, I think, balanced liberal arts kind of esque, um, sport, yes. um, that teaches you a no, lot of great I, life values as well. So I, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, we have, we have an amazing, yeah, we have an amazing. I mean, athletically, it's amazing. Women's and men's tennis, mm-hmm. but also the way it intersects mm-hmm. with the with the liberal arts. And by the way, Tommy Valentini, uh, I want to interview him at some point. He, I don't know if you know he was a history major, did history honors, not with me, but with a now retired colleague. So he's another example of how um, there are so, some surprising connections. And then the philosophy department mm-hmm. now as well. Mm-hmm. So you now tell me a little bit more about growing up in Rochester. So did were did you have family involved in the medical professions or or you just were sort of absorbing this from by, by living in Rochester. Yeah, yeah. No, my mom um, is a physician at Mayo, so she does PM&R. She works a lot with um, spinal injuries as well as in the sports medicine clinic. So hmm. I've always been. I mean, my medicine has always been sort of a part of of my upbringing um, and sort of the value of of, of health and medicine. So. I, I, and like I said, I, I, I don't think I wanted to be, I definitely didn't want to be a doctor until probably my senior year of college, um, junior, senior year of college is when I, after I had had the experiences at Mayo Clinic and Dana-Farber. Um, so I wouldn't say that my, you know, upbringing in Rochester prepared me or, or inspired me to be a doctor, but I think it definitely instilled the value of health and, um, medicine in me that I, that I still carry today. I like Rochester, by the way, I've been there. Um, I think it's a neat city. Um, even, even just, a, well, I guess it's, I guess it's neatness is bound up with the Mayo being there, but there's so much going on. Um, right. I don't know if you, yeah. did you enjoy growing up there? I mean, I just find it interesting. Yeah. Restaurant. 
restaurant. Yeah, there, there's, I did. A Greek, there's a there's a Greek restaurant there. What's the Greek? I used to go all the time. I'm Greek American on my dance side. I can't remember the name. It was really good somewhere oh. in Rochester, kind of outside of the city, center city. Anyway, and another um, <laughs> another student I want to go uh, interview uh, an alum, Justin Rhodes. His mom was a physician there too. Grew up. But what an amazing place! Just interesting um, yeah. to, to be in. I would think now. So you 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 brought to Gustavus. It sounds like a love of science already. Um, what what is it about what is it about science that you love? I would say I brought to Gustavus a passion for asking questions. Um, and diving deep into things. And so in, in high school, I didn't, I took, I, I was, I was probably more into physics in high school and I love to sort of, you know, tinker around with, with different things and, you know, build cars and contraptions and such. Um, but yeah, I, I think then getting to college, I, I specifically remember, um, in my bio 101 class, I had Pam Kittleson and I remember she said every cell in the body has the same exact DNA. And that just absolutely floored me. Like this was just the most incredible thing I had ever heard. I could not believe it. Like how do our toenail cells have the same DNA as our hair cells, as our stomach cells, as our brain cells, right? So this just, I, I couldn't fathom this. So I went into her office hours and I think she spent like an hour with me trying to get me to believe this, um, which I finally did. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it just, from that point, I was very hooked on biology, specifically kind of small cell biology, um, molecular biology. And, um, then my sophomore year, I had, I had just decided I wasn't going to play hockey and I knew I really wanted to get involved in research and kind of explore, um, these scientific questions that I had in my head on a deeper scale. And that's when I got in touch with Dr. Burek, who is incredible and completely, you know, changed the course of my education at Gustavus and the course of my education forever. So, yeah, two of the, I mean, two of the great profs um, at Gustavus, Pam, you mentioned yeah. uh, Professor Laura Burke, and I interviewed Laura already, and I'm going, I certainly plan to interview Pam as well. They're both, I, was Pam also, was she doing the scholarship work at that point too, helping you with the Goldwater, or was that? Uh, she didn't help me. That was Amanda Ninao um, in oh, the Amanda, chemistry department. That chemistry, was, that's right. Yes, who's also wonderful, wonderful mentor. Right. Um, yes. But yeah, no, bless, bless Pam for, for entertaining me for an hour as a as a naive freshman on my you know in my first week of biology um so that's no, I mean, really great I mean, yeah. right? that's all you can you can ask about this actually is say a little bit more about your experience at Gustavus. But mm -hmm. it's certainly one of the things I love. I did not attend a small liberal arts college. I my wife did. She mm -hmm. attended Bard College and up mm -hmm. in the on the Hudson there outside of New York mm -hmm. City. Anyway, but I attended a big state school, Northern Illinois University in DeKalb. And, uh, but in my head, I wanted to be at such a place as Gustavus where you could have that kind of close interaction with yep. students, talk at length yep. about things um, yep. and see the light bulbs go off, right? Yep. And have students, as you did with, with Pam, have students question you. Mm -hmm. It's just so great. Um, yep. Yep. What, so say a bit more about your experience at Gustavus, what, what it was that you really, you, uh, that, 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 that you loved so much about the place? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I obviously had 
incredible experiences um, on the tennis team. I found a really awesome community there um, and made a lot of lifelong friends there. Um, and as I said, you know, it, it was it was a really well-rounded program. School always came first, um, which which was essential for me. And I really feel like I developed a lot as a person. But something I always I always talk about when people ask me about Chris Davis is the professors. I mean, I just connected so well um, with so many different professors that, like I said, spent hours with me entertaining my, my, you know, naive and and silly questions that, um, I had about, about the world. And I think that got me, got me so excited, built my confidence, um, you know, helped me learn so much. Um, so, so I think just the time that professors spend with you and, you know, uh, Laura Barak was, was my research mentor and just absolutely phenomenal. You know, I mean, she was just the, the, a science nerd in just the coolest possible way. You know, she had science hanging, science art hanging on her wall. She had this beaker necklace. And so I just absolutely idolized her. Like I, I wanted to be, I wanted to be like her. Um, and she wanted to mentor me, which was, was pretty amazing to me. So, um, were you working in her lab at Gustavus? Is that? Yes. So I worked in her lab during the school years and then the summers I did, um, sort of off campus research experiences, which she really encouraged me to do. And I think was sort of also instrumental to how I sort of came to go into medicine in the end. And so I, I really appreciated her mentorship and, you know, I think all of the professors there, but, but particularly her just mentor with so much kindness and respect for the students, which sadly is something that you don't Mm. always see in science as I've come to see for myself and, and through, you know, hearing about experiences from different peers. And so I think I, I had a lot of success because of sort of the love that I was surrounded with at Gustavus. Um, and then additionally, I mean, she, she just pushed me to be the best that I could be sort of in, in the best way possible. She has very high expectations for her students, but you know, it's, it's in such an uplifting manner. Um, she makes you believe in yourself and your abilities. She supports you a hundred percent. And, um, I think that's true of so many different professors at Gustavus, um, and that's one of the major strengths of Gustavus. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think that's just, just I mean, observing my colleagues and just knowing how important that is. I mean, I can remember how important it was to me as a student to have a professor right, not just right. take an interest, but but sort of believe in you, right? Believing your mm-hmm. abilities. The other thing you're kind of, I don't, I don't know if you're, you're uh, you know, alluding to this consciously or unconsciously, but kind of a question I have for you, I was thinking about, I've been at Gustavus uh, 30 plus, I've lost track some years. Um, and there were very few women faculty, period, in 19, mm-hmm. even in 1986. And, you know, probably even fewer in the sciences. And I'm just wondering, um, you know, how... Uh, what what that meant to you? I mean, how conscious were you of you know? I am a, I am a woman, a young woman who wants to be a scientist. Here I have women uh, professors like Pam and and, and like Laura. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have thought about this actually a lot, and I I think it 
it might be a little unconscious because I, I don't think I used to think about it, but all of the research mentors that I picked up until this year have been women. Um, and so I don't, I, looking back, I, I wonder if I sort of, I think I, I idolized them, you know, in the, in the way that I idolized Laura, I saw her as this, I saw her as a mentor. I saw her as someone that I would, that I would love to be like. Um, and so I think it's, I think it's a mentorship thing, um, as well as sort of just, um, (laughs) an idolization thing. Um, but yeah, having, having strong female mentors has been, uh, really, really instrumental in my success as well. And and that's certainly, um, available, I guess, Davis and Margaret Blackhazy is my other, um, was my, um, biology, um, major, faculty mm-hmm. advisor as well. So she, her as well, I have to throw in a plug for. Yeah. I just, I just, right. Margaret, Amanda, all these names. I mean, they, there were just so few women at the time. I mean, I, I used to joke, it felt like the 1950s coming, coming from Boston, by the way, coming from, right from Boston right. to this was right. having grown up in Chicago. Anyway, it's, yeah. it's so much better. And I think, you know, yep. all the issues around equity and women in science and sexual harassment and women in science, it's yep. so important to have, yep. have those kinds of role models. Um, yep. From from men from male students as well both but mm-hmm. certainly for women science yep. students. Yep. Now, how did you? Um, I mean, one memorable one memorable experience clearly is that 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 moment in Pam's class. Cells. <laughs> 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 so, are there other other Gustavus experiences on the tennis court, off the tennis court that you particularly remember? Whether fondly or not, I should add. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many, I mean, I have so many fond memories. I, um, I, I have, I have some really good memories from tennis. Um, we won the MIAC championship several years when I was there and, you know, it, it came down to me, my match at the end, um, one of the years. And that was, that was really exciting. Um, so yeah, the championship came down, winning the championship came down to your match? The, the final, um, so this was the regular season, but we knew it was for, you know, the, the, the champions of the conference. And so it was my match and we were in a super tiebreaker. I had lost the first set. I think it was zero six. So I was, wow. getting, I was getting smoked. And hmm. I just remember like the entire fans from both teams surrounding the one court and everyone just going absolutely insane after each oh. ma- after each point. So oh. that is a memory that I will definitely always hang on to. And I think it's sort of symbolic for my experience at Castavis where I just, I felt like I had a lot of people cheering me on and, and, you know, even, even after the little points, uh, even after the little things, there were a lot of people celebrating my successes. And um, I think what I was really that your senior year? And your senior year? When when was that? That was my junior year. Um, we also won the we won the Mayak my senior year as well. Um, yeah, we 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 had a lot of success as as a tennis team, which was which was super fun and um, taught me a lot of really great values, um, you know, teamwork and, and working with others and what it means to balance sports or something and school or work or life or whatever else. Right. Um, so, so I owe a lot of my, 
my time management and people skills, I think, to to the tennis team. And they developed that really well. Yeah, it's interesting. I um I, by the way, I, I, li- I like to hit the hit the tennis ball with my brother in the park, and then <laughs> and then I think I took uh, I took a ten- my memories. I took a tennis class for my Fayette at Northern. You know, it was it was fun, but I was never on the. I don't remember being, if I was on the team. I've I know mean, oh, I think I was on the team in high school, maybe I think briefly. That's and awesome. it was, it's not worth talking about. But that's a heck of a memory. That's a wonderful memory. The other thing that you you're you're, you're saying though that I think is so important, and, and um, I. Just a few days ago, I interviewed um, Coach Peter Haugen, who's the head football coach mm-hmm. at Gustavus, yep. and we talked about what you just said, right? About the first of all, the, there isn't there isn't this sharp line between athletics and academics at Gustavus, yep. and the way in which you're what you're learning as an athlete translates into the classroom, and vice versa. Yep. Um, yep. Well, I didn't have you as a student. I have had some uh, tennis players, both men and mm-hmm. women, and other athletes. And as I always say, by and large, they're some of the best students I, I teach because they they have the self-discipline and the drive, the motivation that comes, mm-hmm. you know, to be a successful athlete, right? Requires yeah. certain, certain characteristics, certain attributes you need to be a successful student as well. It's not just physical yeah. uh, ability. So, um, congratulations on that. Wow. That's a, that's an exciting story. Was that filmed? That should be filmed. That's a, that's like, you know, with everyone. I wish (laughs) I don't think anyone has the film of it, but I'll always remember it in my head. So yeah, that's a great memory. So how did you get interested in, um, the cancer research and pancreatic cancer in particular? What, what draws you to that? So cancer is always something that I've been fascinated with, I think, ever since I first started having conversations with Dr. Burek about, you know, what what her lab does. And they study, you know, mutations related to cancer and, and chromosome instability. But cancer obviously is something that's really personal to all of our lives. You know, it's estimated that one in two people will get cancer in their lifetime. So Mm. I think it's has very strong, I have very strong clinical and emotional and and personal um, drive to, to study cancer, but I'm also just incredibly fascinated by cancer biology. You know, I, I think it reveals a lot about our cells and, and what they're able to do because cancer cells don't necessarily reinvent the wheel. They just sort of are able to hijack our cellular properties in order to become this, this terrible thing in our bodies. So it's, you know, they can promote new blood vessels to get nutrients and evade the immune system and reprogram themselves. And these are all things that our own cells are able to do and do in certain contexts, but cancer just sort of, you know, hijacks the whole process. And so from a scientific standpoint, I am, completely fascinated by cancer biology and all of my work has been in cancer biology. Um, and so I, I plan to, to go into to oncology um, and sort of try to do both research and clinical aspects. But for pancreatic cancer specifically, um, you know, it's, there's so many deaths related to pancreatic cancer. The, the cure rate is less than 10%. It has been less than 10% for 40 years. We're still using chemotherapy um, and radiation, these like kind of archaic at times um, methods to try to to cure pancreatic cancer. Um, I mean, 
this year has been a really sad year for pancreatic cancer. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died of pancreatic cancer. Civil rights leader and Congressman John Lewis died of pancreatic cancer. The Jeopardy host Alex Trebek just died of pancreatic cancer. It's projected to become the second leading cause of cancer death um, in the near wow. future. So it's just, it is a huge, huge problem. Um, and there's, there's, it's a really tough cancer. It's hard to detect. It's really hard to treat. So, um, yeah, scientifically, um, you know, need wise in the world, um, emotionally, I think it's, it's sort of the intersection of, of all of my interests. So I don't know yeah. if I'll end up specifically in pancreatic cancer, but it's something that a problem that I'm really drawn to. And, you know, I, I, I dream about it. I wake up at night thinking about <laughs> different pathways or, or different problems that we're working on in lab, because I'm just, I'm very, very interested in it and, and connected to it. it. So in the lab, is the focus on sort of a cure or cures or what exactly are you doing? Yeah. So our lab specifically um, is focused on the early stages. Pretty much the only hope for cure in pancreatic cancer is surgical resection, um, which I think is only an option for about 15 to 20% of patients because you have to detect it very, very early to be able to undergo surgery before it has metastasized or spread outside of the pancreas. And so our lab is interested in these very, very early changes that are happening in cells in the pancreas that will then go on to become cancerous. And so the goal is by understanding this early biology, we can somehow potentially detect it potentially target it um, and potentially stop it in these early stages. So we're kind of looking more at the evolution of cells um, and the progression of cells during the initiation of cancer with a long-term goal of chemo prevention. So chemo prevention, what is that? It's being able to potentially take a drug or a pill that somehow modulates your risk of cancer. So some people have certain, you know, mutations in their pancreatic cells. And if we can sort of stabilize those mutations, because we know that those mutations are later going to go on to become cancerous, we can then reverse or halt those precancerous cells before they become cancer. That would be amazing, obviously. Obviously, um, yes. I'm yeah, long. Now I'm not. Don't don't look for these in clinic next year. Um, this is you know <laughs> this is the long term goal um, that the lab has, but but that's sort of the motivation in studying these super early changes in cancer cells. I mean, it's sobering that, as you say, the the, the approach is basically the same as forty years ago. Right. Um, right. What about what about were you able to see any of the uh, this October's Nobel the, the on cancer and biotech? Yes, I oh. was so jealous that I was not a student at Gustavus during that time, <laughs> um, and that I had other academic obligations. Um, but yes, it was it was it was amazing. I I saw. I didn't, I didn't see them all, but I did see Carl June's on CAR T cells. I saw Charles Sawyer's on Gleevec. Um, and obviously those yes. are two very cutting edge scientific, um, you know, the, the edge of what we know now, which is super exciting. Uh, and then I did see 
Susan Chambers talking about sort of the emotional and social support um, for the care of That patients. was amazing. Yeah, yep. she was amazing. And the, then um, Shanita Hughes-Halberts as well. Um, those yeah. are probably my my top, my my four top ones. Yeah, I saw I saw most of them, not all of those. Uh, yeah. Sawyer, was, um, uh, he was a history major, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was really? a history major, which was cool. And he talked about, cool. uh, he did a podcast with Lisa Helke, who was the director yeah, of, yeah, of yeah. Bell and Philosophy. And he talked yeah. about the way in which history, study of history, the past informed his some of his work. But the, the reason, I, uh, reason I brought it up is, so how does... How does your research connect with the, the biotech side of all this, if it does? Yeah. So, obviously, you know, Boston, MIT, Cambridge has so much biotech um, startup companies that sort of span expand from these labs. Our lab specifically is super young, so we don't have any sort of... Uh, you know, near future biotech companies that we are going to be starting or, or collaborating with. But we do collaborate with some chemists that make these small molecule agonists, um, essentially drugs for the proteins that we are interested in. So nothing right now. Um, like I said, this is this chemo prevention idea is is such a long it's it's very far in the future. Um Hopefully, you know, within within our lifetimes. But um, I mean, it's not something we're going to get next year. So it must take a lot of patience to be uh, a research scientist. Am I right about that? I mean, because <laughs> right, I think we have this sense that well, this is my sense. You know, I don't know how common it, but you know, you go into the lab, you do some fancy stuff, and then there are these you know spectacular discoveries. But it can take it can just take years, right? Of, of just mm -hmm. te tedious. I don't know, tedious or whatever. But say a little bit more about kind of if there is such a thing, a typical day in the in the lab for you, what that's like. Yeah, I think right now is not so much typical just because of COVID right. restrictions. <laughs> um, right now, our lab is trying to get all of our mouse lines set up so we can have these mice that will we can basically induce pancreatic cancer to develop um, in in hopefully a pretty natural way um, spontaneously. And so we're sort of doing a lot of setup work. We're setting up this new experimental design. Um, so right now isn't, isn't so much typical, but yeah, I think it can, it can be tedious. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big question asker. I'm a big learner. I really love the creativity and the problem solving of science. Um, and I have found that I need to really hold on to those things rather than just get bogged down in sort of mm. the, you know, pipetting every day. And uh, <laughs> I, I really like to work with my hands and, and that stuff's really fun too. But if you are trying to troubleshoot something and you're just doing the same experiment over and over and over again, you're right. It can be, it can get, you know, tedious. And so I think there's a certain amount of sort of, resilience that you need to build up as a scientist. And for me, that's continuing to ask questions, continuing to return to, you know, the, the big picture, continuing to try to be creative about problem solving. So I think I'm, I'm trying to find that balance as a, as a scientist at this point in my career. And I think it'll be something I'm always trying to find, but it's fun. It's like a treasure hunt sometimes, you know, or like a, or like a puzzle. So I enjoy it. 
Yeah, like a puzzle or like a treasure. I can see that. And, you know, any discipline. I mean, history, too. You're in the archives. And, you know, so much of that work is tedious and you're not, you know, maybe finding what you hope Mm -hmm. to find. Sometimes you find something. I'm sure this happens in the lab, too. You find something unexpected. um, Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So... Donut, you, I don't think you're ever going to lose, by the way, your, your love of learning and questions. So there's no, there's no worry there, no matter how tedious the work in the lab gets. But the, um, I, I wonder about um, your kind of, you know, you're just starting out. And so in a way, this is an unfair question. But your, your longer term goals here out of coming out of this program, if you project ahead five years, is it, do you see yourself being primarily a researcher, a medical researcher or um, a physician or a bit of both? Yeah, I think a bit of both. I mean, going into Gustavus, I I had no idea um, that sort of a research scientist career could 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 be all in one. And then my experiences at Mayo Clinic and Dana Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, I met all of these people that had MDs and PhDs, and they would see patients in clinic and run clinical trials or see patients in clinic and have a lab where they'd analyze their samples. Um, And during those experiences, I just found that I was really drawn to the patient care side of things. I like to talk to people. I like to hear people's stories. Um, And so I hope to do both at some point. And my hope is that being a scientist will make me a better physician and, and understand the cutting edge stuff and the treatment options better. And that being a physician will make me a better scientist because I'll know what the relevant questions are to be asking. So I hope to do both. Um, I, I obviously want to do something in oncology because that's where my, my interests lie, but what type of cancer is, is a completely open question that I think I get more confused on the more I, the more medical school I go to. Um, yeah. It will be interesting too, to think, you know, think ahead a bit. Um, I mean, I'll say assuming Biden is elected, Joe Biden has been elected, but once yeah. he's yeah. president, because under, under, um, as vice president, if I remember correctly, he led a pretty major, mm-hmm. uh, cancer, right? Cancer research initiative. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Who knows? Of course, his own son, right? Succumbed to, yeah. uh, to brain yeah. cancer, but yeah. that, could be, that could be interesting. I mean, I, I, obviously funding is, is key here, especially yeah. when, when something like what you're working on is going to be, you know, going to take you know, years or, or right, decades. Right, right. So, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, the past Obama administration had implemented, I know that they had done a big campaign against cancer and there was a ton of research money directed towards these cancers that we haven't seen improvements on and that pancreatic cancer was one of them. And so, um, yeah, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for research money and, and we, we need it because there's a lot of questions to be answered still. Yeah. You know, and this this um, reminds you of a topic I like to ask anyone in the sciences uh, when, I, when I'm, you know, whether I'm podcasting with them or not. But, you know, we live at a time when there is so much science denial, right? And, and this is, goes way beyond, this is not partisan. This, I mean, this has been a part of our culture. I'm a historian, so I know this has been a yeah. part of our culture for, for such yeah. a long time. But, yeah. but I wonder... Um, do you think much about that? And if so, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah. Um, I think it's with the pandemic that we're having right now, it's a really fascinating time to be in medicine and science. And 
a really hopeful time at some points. You know, we have these incredible vaccines that that are coming out and the results look very exciting. And this, you know, vaccine is is very doable. Um, and so there's been this sort of historical scientific achievement and discoveries. But at the same time, we're having this just horrific death toll across the nation and in the Midwest, especially right now, you know, people that that won't even do do the easy things such as wear a mask and, and, and socially distance when they can. And so I hope we can have better leadership and a better example. But, you know, you mentioned history. I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, we had a lecture on the, the 1918 pandemic and there was an advertisement saying like, take off your masks, like free yourself, da da da, like you can't spread it. And so, like you said, history, history repeats itself. And so I hope we can sort of regroup here and take a deep breath and, and try to learn something from history as well as from, from what has happened up until this point and, and try to be safe and smart and move forward. Yeah, and the um, I, I, it's funny. I began one of my courses with a lecture by a um, historian named Nancy Bristow, a recorded lecture about it was in June about 1918, looking at 2020 and COVID 19 through the lens of 1918, and that's when I learned, um, as you're as you're suggesting. I mean, there was an anti mask movement yeah. then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and. And I also learned amazingly that that President Woodrow Wilson never mentioned, at least not publicly, never mentioned yeah. the pandemic. Yeah. Oh, and then I yeah. also did a little work on Gustavus, and I was looking at Gustavus student publications from 1918, and the big, the, the, the largest item I could find. Uh, this is this is all online, and you can you can uh, search it digitally. The largest mm-hmm. item I could find, of course, was you know sort of complaining about what it had done to the football schedule. <laughs> wow! So, wow! I mean, Historians would say history, history never repeats itself because the context is always different, but it certainly rhymes or echoes as yeah. we, as we, as we yeah. say. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hope I, my professors right. are in clinic, you know, I mean, they're, a lot of them are on service seeing and treating these COVID patients as well as teaching us online. And so I think I have just been really in awe of them um, and in awe of all of the healthcare heroes across our, across our nation during this time and, and really thankful for them. And so. Same here. It's just, uh, I have a brother-in-law who's a, a neurophysician and who's been involved with it in Phoenix, but also, you know, I just read something, this relates to what you were saying. I read, it was, I believe a nurse in, in maybe South Dakota or North Dakota, I think South Dakota, but this just the other day in the New York times or Washington post, but she's writing about an op-ed about, um, you know, patients who are sadly dying of COVID in the in the ER, in the ward, and still in denial. I mean, still saying it's not COVID, this isn't real. I mean, I just don't, I don't understand how much of it, this is another topic, obviously, but how much of it. <laughs> we can do a whole podcast on yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. yeah. Really, I'm, not, I'm not, not a scientist, but I have long been interested in science. It's one of the things I really do like about Gustavus. It's strength in science and the humanities and the arts. Um yeah, something we, we have to address this, this, um, you know, this just refusal to believe in science. Mm-hmm. Not that science is infallible, far from it, but mm-hmm. uh, there's something to be said for it in the 21st century, I would sure yeah. argue, as I know you would yeah. too. That is yeah. another podcast, though. Mm-hmm. Let's switch <laughs> dramatically and uh, talk a little bit more about 
uh, Gustavus, let me, as I like to do with, with current students and, and alums, make, make your, especially young alums like you, make your pitch for, for Gustavus as a, as a place. So imagine you're speaking to someone who's considering enrolling um, and isn't a tennis player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe isn't what, what's the pitch? <laughs> I think that whatever you end up going into or whatever path you go down, Gus Davis will support you down that path. And it, it doesn't matter if you, you know, come in thinking you're going to be a hockey player like me and then switch to tennis and then switch to science and then switch to medicine. I think the community at Gus Davis and the liberal arts education that it provides will ensure your success. Um, you know, I think it, it teaches you the liberal arts education and just the, the whole culture teaches you hard work. It teaches you a lot of soft skills um, that are really critical to have. And then I think just another point on Gus Davis is just the community, um, not only the professors that I have continued to mention um, because they're so amazing and so supportive and, and have built me up so much into the person that I am today, but also just the fellow students are, are really wonderful. And I think anyone can, can find a community and find sort of their path at Gustavus, um, in, in, in their own way. All well said. And, uh, I, I certainly agree. Um, the, the theme of community keeps coming back and it, it can sound like a cliche, but it really, yep. it really is true at Gustavus. The other thing I cannot I mean, I would be remiss, I feel, if I didn't raise this with you by way of concluding, is the topic of ice cream. <laughs> because <laughs> you prepare me for this podcast, I see, I see Katie eating an ice cream come up quite a bit. And by wow. the way, you're, you're in Boston, right? You're, you're, an ice cream, you're in ice cream heaven there. But what is it about ice cream? <laughs> I really love ice cream. Um, I don't know. I don't know where these, you know, terms are co-occurring, but I am not mad about it at all. That's awesome. Um, I don't know. I just love ice cream. I think it's my, it's definitely my favorite food. Yeah. JP Licks in Boston is amazing. Um, You know, I, I talk my friends into getting ice cream more often than not. So, um, I think it's just something that brings people together and it's there very delicious. <laughs> yeah, boy, I have I have so many fond memories of JP Licks. I don't know if Emac and Bolios is still around. Oh, was, so good. I, yeah. It's and good. Yeah. In Cambridge. Oh man. The ice cream yeah. in Boston is you gotta come to Boston for the ice cream. Yeah. Well, you, 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 you made a good choice. You've got Harvard, the medical school, and ice cream heaven. So <laughs> this has been a pleasure, Katie. It's been fun to get to know you this way. And hopefully, um, look, maybe one day I'll, we'll, we'll have lunch in Boston when we can when we can get yeah. out there. Kate, Kate and I go off and be a pleasure. Yeah. Um, all the best with your, with your research and everything. Yeah. And uh, take good care. And thank you so much. Yep, of course. Thank you as well. And good luck with the podcast. Thank you. All right. It's, It's been a lot of fun. And it's been fun speaking with you. Take care. Bye bye. Bye.